Welcome back to another episode of Into the Airbnb, where we talk with Airbnb hosts about their short-term rental experience. Today's guest is Jeffrey Lambert, an Airbnb host who owns and manages a unit in Albemarle, North Carolina. In this episode, he will share how he found out about leveraging the unit as much as possible by doing market research and paying special attention to the market's need for big event venues. This episode is sponsored by Airbnb, short-term rental analytics for high-return investments, comprehensive data for insights, ideas, and inspiration. Go to app.airbitics.com to find precise Airbnb data such as occupancy rate, revenue, average daily rate, and so on. So, without further ado, let's get into it. So, how did you get started in Airbnb? Well, I'm not doing it as a business or a job. I think the best way to put it is, are you familiar with the expression, having your cake and eating it too? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to sell that house, but intellectually, I couldn't justify keeping it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if I could have it pay for itself, then I can justify intellectually keeping it. Why would I sell it if it's paying for itself? And right. I use it when I want to. So mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm intentionally spending any money that comes in from rentals back on the property to, to improve it. You know, I yard work, put ceilings in the basement, you know, all kinds of maintenance and home improvement type things. The mm-hmm. places looked as good as it does now. I am so proud when I pull up at the driveway when we spend the weekend there. So you don't spend anything so far in the property? Oh, no, no. I've been spending a lot of money on it, but, but oh. all the money is coming from the rentals, from the, mm-hmm. the money from the short-term rentals through Airbnb. All of it, I'm spending back on the property. Oh, so it pays for itself. It's great. Yeah. I've also seen the pictures of your listing. It's really beautiful. I could not be more proud of that place. I designed that house and built it myself. Well, I hired carpenters and electricians to do the work. I designed it myself and I built it in the footprint of my grandparents' house. I had their house moved out and built that house there. And that was in 2013. And I built it at the time I was married, coming up on 30 years, and I thought it would make everything better with the marriage. Well, she divorced me two years later and I had to leave the house for a year and a half, two years while we were going through the divorce. And then I had to take money out of my retirement to buy her out of the house. So I didn't lose it. And then I lived there for a year by myself, year and a half, and spent all my weekends doing yard work. You know, it's 3,800 square feet heated, an 800 square foot two-car garage underneath it, and an 1,100 square foot wraparound porch, all under the same roof. That's a lot for one person. And then the yard, I've seen pictures of the yard. I would spend all my weekends doing yard work and was still getting behind. Then I met Betsy. We met in September 2019. She's got a 550 square foot cabin out in the foothills of South Carolina. She owns, no payment on it. And I'm thinking, why am I living here? You know, but I couldn't sell it. I just emotionally attached to the place. I looked at long-term rentals. And it was difficult to, Albemarle, it's not, there's not, a, I'm not on a lake. I'm not in the mountains. I'm not at the beach. It's just out in the country. 
So to find someone that would want to rent it long term for the, what I needed just to cover the cost, what wasn't it wasn't happening. I actually I went on the internet just looking how on my phone how do I you know do a listing with Airbnb how does that work. And I go through all these questions and then it says, congratulations, you've listed your home. Now add pictures. And I'm like, what? So I, I find some pictures I had on my phone and put <laughs> on. And then I get a booking for Christmas. Now, Betsy and I have wow. been dating for two months. Well, September, October. We met in September. This is December. Mm-hmm. And I look at Betsy. I'm like, are you serious about moving in together? And she goes, well, hell yeah. So we loaded up my Jeep with everything I could get out of my house. That was my personal stuff. Put the mm-hmm. rest in the garage, and we spent a week getting it ready. When we started, I had three towels, two of them match. I had pillowcases as curtains on the windows downstairs. We spent a ton of uh, that week, way more than I made, just buying towels, just getting it ready for guests. Emptied out all the closets, all the dressers, you know, bought everything we needed, towels, curtains. Um, Betsy helped me with all that. And then we started getting booking after booking, and I, I was shocked. I had no idea it would book. How come uh, did you know not know that your area is popular on Airbnb or is it not? It's, is it just your listing? It is. There's not a lot of listings out that way. And most of the listings are not because it's a five bedroom house. So we can have 16, we list 16, well, 12 guests is what we list. But for five bedrooms on 28. Now, again, it's not on a lake and it's not in the mountains and it's, it's not at the beach. It's just out in the country. But we happen to be rather relatively close to three different wedding venues. So people having weddings, they're out of town families. Three families can stay in my house for about the same money as staying in the Holiday Inn Express in Albemarle. So that's huge. They get a, a 1,100 square foot wraparound port. There's 22 chairs on the porch right now for people to sit with ceiling fans in the summertime. And then their own kitchen. I mean, it's just, I designed the house as a place for friends and family to gather. We've had mm-hmm. families ourselves there with 40 people at one table in the dining room, living room, move the furniture and put one long table down the middle. You did, There's no place like that in Albemarle where you can have 20, 30 people hang out under one roof for the weekend. And we started getting people wanting to have weddings in the backyard, smaller weddings. And so I've been thinking, all right, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Now, just coming out of a divorce, I didn't have a lot of capital. So on my credit card, I put in a parking area beside the house that holds 50 cars. I put in outdoor lighting at all the trees in the backyard so you can light it up at night. I bought 89 yards of mulch at $27 a yard and had my landscaper put it out in the yard for me. Fixed it up nice. And we got bookings for weddings. Then the COVID hit and all the bookings started stopping. I still had the money on my credit cards. But then the interest rates dropped and I refinanced and the money I saved refinancing that house covers all of our expenses here at the cabin. And then all these people that had these huge vacations planned during COVID, their own house on 20 acres out in the country sounded really attractive. And so I started getting a lot of families coming in and the bookings filled back up. That first year, I think we took in almost right at $50,000 in bookings in the first year. Is there an estimated amount of the investments? Well, keep in mind, my goal when I started this was that the house pays for itself without being more work for me. I wanted to be relieved of having to work in the yard and doing all these, you know, pressure washing the house and all these maintenance things you have to do with that much property. I wanted mm-hmm. it to, for that to happen. And so my brother does landscaping and I told him, I said, look, I want you to do the house, but don't make me a deal. 
whatever your normal rate is, charge me that. And he did. Betsy was doing the cleaning and I was paying her the, the $180 I had for a cleaning fee, which I thought was in line. So it, it's done that. And that's my goal. I don't have to sell it if it's paying for itself. Now, when I started this, when I refinanced it, the house was around just over $300,000 is what the market value was. Right now, I've got a real estate agent calling me wanting to sell it for almost a million dollars. And I'm telling them I don't want to sell it. So it's tripled. The value of the property has tripled in three years. So, you know, again, when I took my retirement money to buy the house after the divorce, I looked at it as a reinvesting my retirement in the property. But again, I'm still sentimentally attached to this property because that land has been in my family for many generations. My grandparents' house was in the same footprint. You know, when I built the house, I took stuff from my grandparents' house and my great-grandparents' house and incorporated it into the new house. The door for the basement that goes into the basement was the front door on my great-grandfather's house. My parents moved, so a lot of the family heirlooms ended up in that house, and they're still there. We've got no place else to put them. So that really is my family home, and we use it as a vacation home. But it's been a sound investment, obviously. It's taking in, this year, I'm going to show a profit because I'm taking in just, there's only so much I can do. I've spent thousands of dollars in yard work. The yard has never looked this, this good. We've reseeded over four acres of grass the last two years, three years and fertilized it twice a year. I mean, that's thousands of dollars each time you do it, but the yards never looked this good. So the value of the property itself and not having to sell this piece of property, because once I sell it, I'll never get it back. You know, it's family property. That, that was my goal, and that's what we're doing. This year, this April, has just worked out to be the biggest month we've ever had. There's five weeks, and again, it's kind of a weekend rental. Rarely do we have a booking that does not include the weekend. And there were five weekends in April. We normally don't get a booking in weekdays. It's a three-night minimum, so that normally leaves a couple of days in the middle open, which is fine because it takes time to clean a five-bedroom house properly. Then we've had a few people fill in the weekdays. So this month, we're taking in almost $10,000 in bookings. And I just added it up. My housekeeper and my landscaper is about $2,500. This year is going to be difficult not to show a profit. Wow, that's impressive. I think the good thing you're doing is you know how to um, take advantage of the listing. I know there are many people out there with uh property that is this big and maybe people want to rent it out for a wedding like you said or a familiar gatherings and they don't allow it but the fact that you allow it and there are wedding venues around you that is like a real good way to take advantage of the location of the property and the size of the property so i get what you're getting like yeah. a lot of revenue again i'm not at a big uh vacation spot like the mountains mm -hmm. or the but i found right. my that town because there, there's no place like it that you can compare it. Airbnb, when I first started, they were like, well, $70 a night. Well, $70, I can't clean it for $70. You know, you can't clean that house. And when the COVID hit, the rental place in Albemarle didn't deliver their chairs and tables anymore. So I bought 90 brand new white folding chairs that we'd use for an outdoor wedding. And I bought 10 five foot diameter banquet tables. And we were able to store those in the downstairs garage that guests can use, it's we charge $2 a chair and $10 for the tables. That's the same price as the Albemarle place, except they're there. Use them or don't. It's If you need 
20, take 20. If you need 30, take 30. And then whatever they use, put back, and they can pay for that through the Airbnb app. So we tried to just make it more of a convenience. But it's, it's been incredibly rewarding. If you read through our reviews, they're great. But the real heartfelt messages that we've gotten in our guest book, I mean, we've had a, a young girl, I think she was eight. She met her godparents and caught her first fish at that house. We've had families, the, the few times we've had weekends that weren't booked, inevitably at the last minute, we have a family for a funeral that are coming into town and they need a place to go. And we've had uh, families have big memorial services in the backyard. And just those type of things, I didn't expect that. I've always enjoyed hosting and I'm proud of that property. I love it when other families get to enjoy it like I do, but uh, it's been incredibly rewarding. I get it completely. I congratulate you for it. It's really great what you've done. Um, by any chance, do you find your area to be any seasonal? Are there any specific months where you don't get that much bookings or something similar? Well, yeah, I've looked back over the last couple of years. Typically, January, February is the slowest months. The last year by March, we were booked up every weekend for the rest of the year. I think we had one weekend in December. But I block, I've been blocking July 4th weekend for my family. We have a July 4th party. And I block a weekend between Thanksgiving and Christmas where all my family comes. This year, mm -hmm. we're, we've got a few extra weekends that aren't booked. I think there might be four or five weekends right now that aren't booked. But I've blocked a week in June. My dad's and my mom are celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. And my dad's turning 80. So we've blocked that week for the house. And all of our family's meeting there to celebrate their anniversary and my dad's birthday. The two weeks after that, I've got a friend that's getting married and then I'm going to have a big party. And they've rented it out two weeks in a row. My son and his wife volunteer at their church youth group, and they're doing an out camp out in the backyard a weekend in May. Those type of things. Again, I get to do that for people. We've had several neighbors on now the streets out in the country. There might be 12 driveways and two miles on this road. But we've had two neighbors, three neighbors, rent the house for a, a Marines reunion, a birthday party, and a wedding. And that's a huge compliment for me, for my neighbors, to think that much of that place that they would want to rent it for their event. Because there are many neighbors out there that don't like Airbnb properties at all. So you're very lucky with that. And you're right. And, and I'm sensitive to that. All my neighbors know what I'm doing. They all have my number, and I've let them know. If you ever see any problems or have any problems, let me know. We did have somebody booked, not through Airbnb, but through another listing, through Verbo, and they wanted to have outdoor reggae festival. And I thought that was awesome. They set up a stage in the backyard. They had two solid days of reggae. Now, the neighbor, mm -hmm. and she's probably 200 yards away, she put on Facebook the video. She was quarantined because she had the COVID. And, uh, but she put the video up of the reggae concert in my backyard and it was loud, but she was digging it because she had her own concert. Some of the other neighbors complained and let me know they wanted to do the reggae thing again this year. And I told them that we just, it wasn't good fit for the property because, you know, we had some neighbors that, that didn't like it. I try to be conscientious of not disturbing my neighbors. But like I said, that property, it's been in the family for generations. So mm -hmm. most of my neighbors are blood relatives. My cousins live oh. on both across the street. So most people there, you know, we're family. They know me. That's great. They understand about your business and they also see that you're getting 
good guests as well. So I better like it. And yeah. is there any particular strategy you use for pricing? Now with pricing, we've learned like we started with a two night minimum because it takes at least a day and a half, two days for Betsy to clean the place by herself. And we learned that you have a better chance of getting someone that comes in there and try to treats it more like a cheap hotel at two nights, three nights. And we raise the price a little bit. We get people that are, we're finding our target clientele. And again, it's for friends and family gatherings and events, you know, birthday parties. And it seems like right now the price range we're in and the three night minimum, we've been getting exactly that. We've been getting family events up. Now, this week, we had a family there during the weekdays uh, celebrating their dad's 75th uh, birthday. We get a lot of families from, they book from either up north or down south in Florida, and they meet halfway, which is in North Carolina, and they spend the week together at my house. So we're hitting our target audience with the way we've got it structured right now. Aside of that, is there any particular thing you're based your price on? Because, you know, there are many hosts, for example, look at the competition to base their price. And I don't, I don't think you have much competition around there. And yours is a very particular listing, like you said before. So is there anything you have in mind aside of um, the three nights minimum to price your property? I have looked on, on at other listings in that area and to find something that can sleep 12. Typically, they're going to be on the lake, you know, a large lake house, but their parking mm -hmm. is limited. And again, I've got the, my event parking area holds 50 cars and the driveway holds 10. So parking's not a problem at my house. And as far as, you know, pricing too high or too low, finding that sweet spot so that we're getting people that come in there and are going to respect the property and not pricing ourselves out of the market so that we stay, stay booked regularly. You know, again, I kind of compare it to three nights at the Holiday Inn Express there in Albemarle. You know, if we have three families there for three nights, that's about the same price as my house for three nights. And you can easily have three families in my house. The thing as far as pricing, you know, I've, I've looked at it. Maybe I could raise my price and at the end of the year, take in just as much money, but not having it booked every weekend, less, you know, wear and tear on the house, same amount of dollars. But then I have to take into consideration my landscape. Well, my landscapers every week, pretty much regardless, but my housekeeper. Betsy was doing it to start with, but she was diagnosed with neurological disease. So physically, she's not able to do the cleaning. So we lucked into finding this wonderful lady named April. First started just kind of doing the days, giving us a day off so we could go out of town. But once Betsy's health went declined, she started doing every cleaning for us. And I want to stay on her schedule. She's wonderful. She's got a family that's got a cleaning business, do house cleaning. She came, we found her through a friend. She came to look at the house and I think she priced it at $220 to do the house. And then we met with her after Betsy's diagnosis. So we need you to do every cleaning. Can you do that? And she said, yes. Now the cleaning business, they can have their own accounts. We were her first account. And right now we're the largest account that their company has because she's cleaning it five, six times a month. And it's not just cleaning. She stages the house. She prepares the house for the guest. And she knows mm -hmm. that house better than I do as far as where the pictures need to be and how the chairs need to be set. She'll send me a picture of a little ding in the shade on a lamp. And I'm like, yeah, I did that last year. My body. Yeah, I'm like, sorry, I did that. 
you know, she is the most important person on our team. And if I price it higher, but she's not working every week, I need to keep that in consideration because I don't want to lose her. And I raised her up to 240 last year and just raised her up to 280 this year because she's worth every penny. And, you know, she started just doing the basics, but now she's doing more, you know, as far as organizing our toys in the downstairs garage. We have a whole bunch of toys that we keep, you know, cycling through. Every time I go shopping for supplies, I'm in the toy aisle, a new game or something to play in the yard. We just put that downstairs for the guests. I want to stay on her schedule. Pricing myself higher and having less bookings, but the same amount of money affects the people that I depend on to make this happen. I understand. And I also admire how you meant to keep your housekeeper because cleaning is one of the most important things on Airbnb and many hosts and guests also to know to appreciate it. Oh, a real quick story though. She's got broken English because she's Mexican, but uh, she speaks really good English. It's a, a little bit of an accent. She, we, Betsy and I were there and she comes up and asks me and Betsy she, about something with a, a pillowcase or a comforter. And I looked and I said, would you let your kids sleep on that? And she goes, oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, okay, from now on, that's the criteria. If you would let your family stay there or sleep on it or use that bathroom, it's not good enough. You know, so we went and got more pillowcases or whatever it was. But we've got mm -hmm. a storage now, so we've got backups of everything. And she'll send us pictures and of the guest book now because it's two hours from where I live to the house. So we try to still get by there once a month, at least every two months, just to see it and make sure and get more supplies. So you do kind of remote hosting as well? How have them gone? Well, that first year, Betsy cleaned it. So we were there every week which was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. We'd get there and spend a couple of nights during the weekdays. I work remote. I'm an engineer for a construction management company and a lot of my work's remote, so I can work here or there. But then once Betsy's health started declining, we got April doing it every week. We've been there once since before Christmas. And I'd like to go back, but like I said, this month is booked back to back. There's not a night there for me to go, go spend a day and a night there and kind of, you know, look over everything. Yeah, so your calendar is fully booked for April. That's yes. amazing. In this timing and Airbnb holes, have there been any major challenges that you've found yourself? Well, I mentioned already the finding that sweet spot with minimum number of nights and the mm -hmm. price so that we're attracting the, the clientele that we're trying to get. And again, the idea of family get-togethers, friends meeting, you know, like I said, we had the, that military group. They were retired Marines. They met out there for a long weekend. Those type of events, gatherings, is what I'm trying to attract. Early on, we did have, when the two nights we had a group that was rowdy, the place was, they, they really didn't, the floor was so sticky throughout the main level of the house, I had to wear my shoes, my slippers inside because the floor was sticky. It was just nasty, the, the way they left that, the condition of the house. But since we've raised it to the, Finding that sweet spot for the, our target clients was number one. Number two right now was finding a quality housekeeper. And calling her a cleaning lady is not good enough. She is a housekeeper. She stages the house. She makes sure it's clean. She keeps us updated if something's looking warm that we may not have seen. She's vital. And finding someone that can do that that you trust is worth every penny it takes to find them. Right now, I think the biggest challenge I've got is because I'm on Verbo and Airbnb, I do have the calendars linked 
but I have yet found how to make Verbo add a day at the beginning and end of a booking automatically for cleaning and prep time. Airbnb, it's pretty simple. I've got it set up. But because I've got an 8 a.m. check-in, that's 8 in the morning people can check in, and they don't have to check out till 3 p.m. The way they typically do it, someone checks out on the 22nd, the next person can check in on the 22nd. And I can't do that because it takes at least five hours for April and her aunts to get the house ready. So I need that day. And so when they book on Verbo, I've got to instantly go and block the days so that they don't, they don't get booked over. I see, yeah, I've heard from other hosts also that they don't like BRBO because it's a little bit um, hard to use and not as trustable as Airbnb. Yes, the Airbnb. Now I do almost all of it on my phone. But on the Airbnb app, you can go into your stats and click on your, I forget the dot, the income, and it shows you your mm -hmm. total this year in bookings. It shows each month how much is booked and your percent booking, you know, your occupancy rate. I haven't found that on Verbo. I can't find that. So I've got to go through and manually add up all the bookings on Verbo to see what my total projection is for this or total future bookings are for this year. That mm -hmm. might be important when I'm going to do a, a large improvement at the house you know we're going to be putting a kitchenette downstairs in the, in the basement area i designed the house for that kitchenette eventually and that's going to take some capital and i don't mind floating the expense if i know the bookings are there and that's a big challenge another minor challenge i guess is keeping up with the supplies i do a lot of ordering through airbnb and other deliveries or amazon and other delivery services but timing the deliveries so they get their between guests and April, our housekeeper can get it and restock whatever she needs to restock in our storage area. I see. I understand. And lastly, are there any tips that you'd like to share for other Airbnb hosts? I have recommended you doing the Airbnb thing to many of my friends, especially people that are getting close to, to retirement age and they're doing more traveling and the flexibility and the options available with Airbnb, you can list it for one week a year. You can do a minimum booking. You can change your price. It's, it was, it's very versatile. And it's not like you've got to move out of your house completely. And the advice that I give them is, you know, there's no reason not to try it. And the key that I heard someone say, and I believe it completely, is undersell and overdeliver. You know, in our listing, we don't mention that we've got a candy drawer in the kitchen. But I've got a candy drawer in the kitchen full of little chocolates for the guests. We make sure it's stocked between guests. And we've got all those toys that we don't advertise. Those are surprises. Those are those little bonuses. So when they show up, oh my gosh, there it is. We advertise we've got a fire pit. We don't advertise that we've got a lot of sawmill slats and wooden pallets beside the barn that they're welcome to use to have bonfires. So we try to undersell and then over deliver with all these extras after they get there. Yeah, that is a great tip. It's my first time hearing about it, but I think it's really good. I think it's like a way to impress guests. And again, that has been more satisfying than I could have imagined. Reading these notes in our guest book, I mean, these heartfelt notes. Oh, we had adults. They were in their 40s, siblings that had never met each other. They had met at my house for the first time and spent the week together. And she told me, the more I know about guests, the more I can like do to make it more special event or a case stay for them. She mentioned it was her birthday and she never fished before. Well, I ordered a little fishing pole and had it delivered to the house while she was there. 
with her name on it said happy birthday from Jeff and Betsy. You know, it was a $20 fishing pole. But I wanted to do, as she was there, first time fishing, first time meeting her brother. That was really kind of you. Really happy to meet a host and think about their guests as you do. Like, that's really important. Well, well I told you from the beginning, I don't know if I'm the standard host nowadays. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it for extra income. You know, looking into the future, if everything continues to be as smooth as it is now, we had nine repeat guests. They were coming to, they changed their vacation plans. They want to come here again. When I do retire, then I could maybe start bringing in an extra couple thousand dollars a month through on the big months to supplement for my retirement, but, mm -hmm. or then I could sell the house. But right now it's very little effort on my part. It hasn't been a hassle at all. And it's incredibly rewarding to hear these stories. And then when I go there myself to enjoy the place, it has never looked this good. Mm -hmm. That's great for you. It has been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for your time and thank you for your tips as well. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to Into the Airbnb. We're looking for hosts and other people in the short-term rental industry to interview. If you had what we need and would like to share your experience in this podcast, please send us an email. All the info is at the end of the description.